Well, I want you to take your Bible and go to the book of Genesis chapter 3. And this morning, I want to make some intentions known before I begin. This morning, I intend to set my eyes on Calvary and run as fast as I can to the cross. Second of all, I intend to go down to the briar patch and I intend to stay there all day. Third of all, at the end of this message, I intend to give an invitation for those of you that have never been saved and I intend for you to come to the cross and to give your life to Jesus Christ on this altar. I make no bones about it. I don't mince words about it. Today is the day of salvation. You must call upon the name of the Lord. And today I want you to look in a couple of places. The first one is in Genesis chapter number 3 and verse number 18. And this morning I want to preach to you on the message of the thorn. Genesis 3 verse number 18. The Bible says, Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. And thou shalt eat of the herb of the field. Genesis chapter number 3, you are finding Adam and Eve on the tail end of what a disobedient heart will get you in the eyes of God. They've disobeyed God. They ate of the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the Lord has come to them and said, because you've done this, I'm going to place a curse upon you. Not just a curse upon you, but there was a fourfold curse that I read this morning. Number one, he said the curse is going to be upon the serpent. No longer will the serpent go upon hands and feet, but the serpent will now crawl upon its belly, being the lowest, ser- being the lowest animal in the kingdom. The second curse that would come would be, man, I'm going to remove the innocence from your eyes and you are going to get the fruit of your labor. You wanted to know the difference between good and evil. You're going to get everything that comes with that. The third thing he said that would come to the woman, he said, now because of your rebellion against me, no longer will bringing forth children bring joy and harmony and peace, but now it will be through sorrow and through pain that you bring forth children. He said the fourth curse that will come upon you is that the ground that you labor in, Adam, no longer will it bring forth abundantly fruit, but now it will bring forth thorns and thistles. You need to remember a verse in the book of Psalms, chapter number 19, verse number 1. The Bible says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. What that verse teaches is that everywhere you look, if you look hard enough and without any bias, you will find that there is a God. As the birds float through the air in the winter sky looking for warmer weather, hear them sing the song, I know that there is a creator and I know that my creator is alive. When you see the rose petal open up in the springtime sunshine as it opens its cup waiting for the rain to fall out of heaven, it is declaring, I know from whence my food comes, I know that there is a Redeemer. Every time a palm branch spreads its wings up to the heavens in praise, it is lifting its arms up saying, I know that there is a Creator in heaven and I know that my Redeemer is alive. 
It is amazing that the highest of creation is man, and yet man is the only one that seeks to say that there is not a creator. Everywhere you look, you are seeing two things. Number one, you are seeing these two lessons in every aspect of creation, and I'm going to make up a word because I can. The first lesson you need to learn is that order must come from an orderer. The order has to spring out of an orderer. You cannot have chaos outside of order. Order will never spring forth from chaos. If you were to take a house and dissect that house, you would find that there was brick and there was mortar. There were studs and there were screws and there was sheetrock and there was paint. If you were to deconstruct that house and lay all of those ordered, all of those materials out of order and in a chaotic pile and then let a tornado come through and pick up all of those pieces in that pile, what are the odds that that tornado, that disorder and that chaos would take those pieces of chaos and spin it into a perfectly put together house? You and I would look at that and say there is no way possible. Yet we have professors and we have people that are teaching our kids that the only way that we came forth was from a puddle of chaos and one day that chaos had enough power and wisdom and strength to have an incredibly big, large bang and all of a sudden, all of this chaos, it came together and created order. The only thing more insane than that is the man that thinks that house came from nothing. No, every time you go past a subdivision that they're building in Lebanon or in Mount Juliet or in Nashville or wherever you come from, you look and you say the only way that got there is somebody that knew what they were doing put it there. Honey, you can't look at the greater things of creation and see the birds fly through the air and every winter they go down south. You cannot look at the human body and look at the greatness and the power that it takes to have that human body work in a sequential order and look and say, that came from a monkey one day and that monkey came from a tadpole. Don't look at me nervous. It don't make me not nervous, not near a bit. And that tadpole came from a puddle of frog eggs one day and that puddle of frog eggs came from a congealed pile of water one day and that congealed pile of water one day came because two novas over there and two novas over here got together and started spinning and colliding one day and one day those novas never were but decided to be one day and they collided in the middle of nothing although we don't even know where nothing came from but all one day they all got together no you're insane if you believe that take the bias out of that and stop figuring out who you're voting for and look at the creation and say there's no way the white clouds pump up on the blue backdrop without an orderer putting that order together. You do not look at a sun made of a perfect amount of helium and oxygen and nitrogen and all of these things that go together and look at that sun as it stands still in the midnight sky and it does not move but yet that earth in order moves around moving one inch further or one inch closer. We would either freeze or burn up. No, that order, it came from an orderer. Number two, the second lesson you look at when you read these verses is the second thing you've got to understand is that there is no matter that is too unimportant. Everything goes together. It all matters. 
You know, one of the most useless things in all of creation is a mosquito. There is nothing more irritating than a mosquito. I ain't been in a Tennessee summer, but I got a feeling that y'all's mosquitoes look a whole lot like locusts. I got a pretty good feeling about that. You know, if I had my way, I would take a big old cloud of exterminating power, uh, powder and I would set off a big smoke bomb around everything that is, and I would annihilate every single mosquito. I would never see another mosquito in my life again. You know, what would be the harm in that? It's such a little thing. I looked at that the other day, and I Google searched, what's the purpose of a little mosquito? Did you know that the greatest pollinator in all of nature is not a bee? It's the male mosquito. If the male mosquito did not exist, the entire food chain would begin to collapse. What you're looking at is even the smallest thing that doesn't look like it goes in the order and in the chain. If you did not have the smallest thing, then you would not have the whole thing. Brothers and sisters, you've got a God that is so powerful and wise that he can take even the smallest things in your life and they add up to the big picture in your life. Look at your life and one decision would have put you in a path you never would have recovered from. One thing that had gone another way, your life would not be what it is today. So whenever we look out down in the briar patch of life, we see the purpose of the beautiful rose. We see the beauty of the massive oak tree. But who looks down on the ground and sees a thorn and says there's a purpose in that? This morning up here on the platform, I have got a, 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 a thorn bush that we picked there in Caesarea Maritime there in Israel. We went on the side of the street and these thorns here grow there in the Achaia bush all around Israel. And we one day we went, we took a pair of scissors from the hotel and we cut it off. And we formed, exactly like the Romans would have formed, a crown of thorns. I was looking at those thorns. And of all the things the Bible says about what Jesus had put on his head, it said he had a crown of... There's got to be a message in that thorn. Because they could have put a rose petal on his head, but they put a thorn. They could have put an olive branch on his head, but they put a thorn. Brothers and sisters, one of the first pieces of vegetation that you find in the Bible is a thorn. What is the message in a thorn? This morning, I'll give you three things about that thorn that I want you to remember. Number one, I want you to look at the typology in that thorn. Whenever you read in Genesis chapter number 3 and verse number 18, God looks at Adam and he looks at Eve and he says, because of your sin, two things will spring up out of the ground. He says, thorns and thistles. There are two different things, he says, that are going to pop up because of your disobedience. Thorns and thistles. So the first thing we read and understand when you look at a thorn out in the woods somewhere is that they are the punishment and the result of 
our sin. Now that thorn that grows up in that rose bush, that grows up in that bramble bush, what is it a picture of? It is a picture of what happens when sin has its way. That thorn in your Bible, it is a picture of sin. Now there are two things. It says thorns on one hand and thistles on the other hand. What does a thorn represent and what does a thistle represent? Write this down. The first thing is a thorn. What does a thorn represent? The word thorn, it comes from a Hebrew word and it has the idea of pricking, of poking, of constantly jabbing. Brothers and sisters, that word thorn, it comes from a root Hebrew word which means to toil all summer long. This past Wednesday night, I told you that I've got a a green thumb. Well, that's not altogether the truth. I've got a desire to have a green thumb. And I know how to do everything right, but unfortunately, I can do everything right all summer long and get to the end of the harvest and have absolutely nothing. Are there any other farmers and people that have gardens that feel my pain? There is nothing worse than when you have labored and worked in your garden and when you labor and work in that garden and you walk out in the morning and you see holes in the green leaf knowing that some kind of bug, some of y'all don't have it. If it don't come from the Piggly Wiggly, you don't even know how it grows. You think it comes from the earth in a can. You don't have any idea that there's a whole process to this thing. Now, brothers and sisters, what that thorn represents to spend the summer, what that is indicating is that you're going to work and labor and work and labor and get to the end and have nothing. That's exactly what sin does. Sin, you spend your time in sin. You spend your time doing those things in your life that you desire to do. You spend your life working and laboring and doing everything you can for the pleasures of life and for the joys of life and for the pleasantries of life. And you get to the end of your life and your money means nothing and your health means nothing and the things around you mean nothing because you come down to the river as you get ready to cross over and whenever you cross over you realize your religion is not going to help you you realize your decisions are not going to help you you realize your family is not going to help you you realize nothing you have done is going to bring any kind of help because sin is that pricking that you can work and labor and get all you want but still have nothing at the end of the day. But he doesn't just say thorns. He says on the other side are going to be thistles. The word thistle, it, it comes from this word, this Hebrew word dardar. And a dardar was a bush that grew in the Holy Land. It was this massive bush. And this massive bush, it would be huge. You know the problem with that dardar bush? Useless. No fruit grew on it. You could not use it for shelter. And what they would then do is they would take this dardar bush and they would cut it off and they would create a circle with it. It was as if it never stopped and it never started. No matter which way it turned, there were the thorns. 
Brothers, the second thing God says is going to pop up because your sin is it's going to affect every area of your existence. You do realize that sin is the permeation and it goes down into our thoughts. That's why you can't think right. It goes all the way down into your children. You want to be a good daddy, but something just keeps pushing you in this direction and you're making all these decisions and you don't have any idea where it came from. That's because it's encircling your mind and you want to have a good marriage and you want to have a good family, but something just keeps pulling you down. It's that, it's that sin, that thistle. Brothers and sisters, that sin in our lives, that rebellion against God. Now, I know we're in a Baptist church this morning and I know you probably wiped off your baptismal certificate because you before you got here but at the end of the day every single one of us from the very front all the way to the very back of the balcony every one of us are sinners every one of us have messed up every one of us have made mistakes every one of us have committed things and I'm not asking you this morning are you a murderer I'm not asking you this morning are you an adulterer I want to ask you one thing have you ever done one thing that you're un- that you're ashamed of one thing you say well I've never told a lie. Well, you're a liar because every one of us have told a lie. And you know what James says? James says, if you've broken one of the commandments, it was as if you had broken every one of the commandments. And you can be here today and I don't care if you've been baptized. It doesn't matter about being baptized. You can be here and you come to Bible. It doesn't matter about going to Bible school. You say, I've been in Sunday. It doesn't matter about being in Sunday school. My daddy was a, a preacher. I don't care if your daddy was the Pope. None of that is going to matter. When you get down to the end of your days because you cannot live off of mama's stuff. You cannot live off of daddy's stuff. You cannot live off of who your grandpappy was. At the end of the day, every single one of us have been encircled and encamped because of our sin. There's a typology every time you see a thorn that I'm a sinner and something's not right. Today, you look at that thorn on that table right there. Think about every time you've ever done something wrong. Think about every time you've ever had a a messed up idea. Sometime you've ever done and made a decision that you regret. Every single one of us are sinners. Teenagers are sinners. My children are sinners. My wife, myself, we're all sinners. My mama is a sinner. Your daddy is a sinner. You are a sinner. You say, I don't appreciate that. I'm sorry to hurt your feelings, but you're still a sinner. It doesn't matter how you feel at the end of the day because you do not change the stripes no matter if the zebra desires to be an antelope. And at the end of the day, I can lie to you and tell you it's all going to be okay. I can lie to you and tell you it's all going to work out just fine, but I would be a liar. And at the end of the day, it is my job to tell you the truth. And you are a sinner there's a typology number two there's a trouble with the thought I'm going somewhere don't jump off the wagon but you got to understand what happens with these thorns if you flip over in your Bible look at numbers chapter number 33 and verse number 55 because the next time we see these thorns we see what happens with these thorns Numbers chapter 33 and verse number 55. You can look at it on the screen if you need to. Moses tells the people of God, but if ye will not drive out the inhabitants of the land, 
Then it shall come to pass that those which ye let remain of them, they shall be pricks in your eyes and thorns in your side. You know what they were saying? Moses said, if you don't deal with your stuff, it's going to constantly be pricking you. Let me say it like this. If you don't deal with your junk, your junk will deal with you. If you don't do what you need to do with your sin, you will constantly be dealing with your sin. I'm not a home improvement guru. In fact, I learned a lesson several years back. If you want it done right, pay somebody. The last house we bought, I had a great idea. It was what they called a fixer-upper. And I know what y'all were thinking. How'd you plan on doing that? My wife told me, I'm going to tell you where I messed up. Erica Marie told me, you can't do that. Don't ever tell me I can't do something. I'm going to do it. And I am proof positive that if you hit a button enough times, you'll get it to work. So, Brother Troy, I watched some YouTube videos. There was a pipe loose up in the attic. I don't know really what it was or really what its purpose was. But I'd always been taught that the real important stuff was in the crawl space. So I figured if that pipe was up there, it wasn't no big deal. And I went up into the attic one day, and I heard this bloop, bloop, bloop. This pipe had a little leak in it. Now, my, my floors in my ceiling are the slat floors, and so there's just a little leak. I wasn't about to take up the whole subfloor or the upper floor, or the attic floor. The, it was a lot of work. And Benji, it was just a little leak. Famous last words, how much damage could it do? A lot. I'm walking through the house one day, and I look up on the sheetrock. No, that's sheetrock. It was plaster. Because I didn't, you know, plaster doesn't really turn colors immediately. I just saw this bubble. Some of y'all right now are under so much conviction over the cheapskate stuff you've done at your house. It just started bubbling, boys. Just slowly started just coming down. So you know what I did? I went and got a sewing needle. Because if my wife, listen to me, she is meek and she, she don't say much, but if she ever does and she knows she's right about something, and I've been married long enough, the last thing I wanted to hear was I told you so. 
Long story short, I, I tried working on that stupid bubble. I worked on it for weeks. Every time I'd pop it, it'd come out. It's getting bigger. Just, just, kept do, just kept doing it. And one day, I walked in, and me and Eric had had one of those days. You know one of those days. Choir, y'all know what I'm talking about, one of those days. You know, just, just one of those days. And I walked in, Dave, and the entire ceiling of that area was laying in the floor. Because plaster, when it gets wet, it can't be repaired. It's got to be replaced. And when she walked in and saw that laid in the floor, honey, I came up with I tried to think of every excuse I possibly could. And finally, I looked at her and I said, I thought it was just a little leak. I didn't know it could do all that damage. Give anything enough time and it'll fall apart. That's what that word prick in your side means. You give something enough time. You give that sin enough time. He said it'll be a thorn in your side. You know a thorn in your side is not enough to kill you. It's not enough to destroy you. But here's what happens. That thorn in your side, it causes you to change the way you walk. So that because if you're standing upright, that thing in your side, it will prick you. And so you know what you do? You alter the way you walk. It changes. And so what happens over time because of the change in your body structure, your body will eventually, your muscles will go around that and ultimately it will debilitate you that little prick in your side but here's what else a prick will do in your side is it will finally wear a big enough hole and if it's constantly messed with it will get inflamed and infected and one little prick given enough time it will change your life and ultimately take your life honey I know that thing that you say is not a big deal in your life you say it's not a big it's just a slow little drip in your life. It's just a little bit of this, and it's just a little bit of that. It does not matter how much it is, because give anything a little bit of time, and the whole thing will fall apart. And this morning, you've been putting it off, and putting it off, and putting it off, and talking about how it doesn't matter. There are people that'll watch us online, and they've been putting off that they need to get right with God, putting off that they'll do it next week. You do not know how much damage is being done in your life and in your family with just a little prick and a little drip because there's real trouble with thorns, Moses said. If you don't deal with them, there'll be a prick in your eye and a thorn in your side. So here's the third point. Where is the triumph over these thorns? Because if the only thing that a gospel preacher can do is give you bad news then he has lost the effect of what he's been called to give you. He's been called to give you good news. I want you to take your eyes with me up to bloody Calvary. I want you to take your eyes with me down to the lithostrotos where, where Pilate has the Lamb of God at his feet. On one side is a Roman soldier and on the other side is a Roman soldier. I want you to see them as they strip his garment from him. See them as they lay the cat of nine tails across his back, ripping the very flesh of omnipotence wide open. Watch them as they take and they strike his back with the reed. 
And then they look at him and they say, wait a second, aren't you a king? A king has got to have a crown. Watch one of the Roman soldiers walk over to those bushes that grow along the highway side and cut one slip of it off. Watch him as he takes that and he begins to entwine that and he makes a crown of thorns. They take that crown of thorns and what they did not realize is when they took that crown of thorns, they thought they were crowning him the king of the Jews. They could have never imagined that they were fulfilling the very prophecy of Genesis chapter number 3. Because as those Roman soldiers took that crown of thorns and the Bible says they platted it on his head, that means they take it and they drive that crown of thorns down. Watch as those three and a half inch spikes run down up under his eyebrow. Watch them as they take the hair off of the back of the head of omnipotence. Watch that now as that crown of thorns is upon the head of the Lamb of God and they take that Roman reed and they begin to drive that further and further down. Watch them as they impale his head with that crown of thorns, thinking that they're mocking him, thinking that they're laughing at him. What they had no idea is that they were giving the greatest triumph story in all of existence because as they took that crown of thorns and they put it on the head of the Lamb of God, they gave a five-fold picture of what God was trying to show you and I. What is that five-fold picture in that triumph of those thorns number one the first glorious picture that you'll see there in the crown of thorns on the head of the lamb of god is the vicarious suffering of jesus christ Number one, the first thing is the vicarious suffering of Jesus Christ. What does the word vicarious mean? It means substitutionary, in the place of. He did not deserve to have those crown of thorns. Remember, the loving Lamb of God never sinned. He never had a bad thought. He never had a bad mindset. He never said one thing wrong. He never had a negative thought toward anybody. Never had a lust-filled idea. Therefore, he did not deserve a crown. We deserve the crown. It should have been my crown that day on my head. It should have been my brow being impaled with those spikes. It should have been my family impaled and crowned with that crown of thorns. But that day at the foot of the lethostrotos, as Jesus Christ was crowned with that thorn, he looked up at the Father and he said, Father, I'll take that which they deserve, put their crown on my head and take my crown and put it on their heads. Ladies and gentlemen, this day... I remind you, you don't have to go to hell because Jesus already went to hell. You don't have to die on the cross because Jesus already died on the cross. You don't have to suffer for your sin because Jesus already suffered for your sin. And that day when they took the thorns, they were taking the curse from man and putting it on the head of the Lamb of God. And today you can be saved. They didn't put the crown of thorns on a baptismal pool. They didn't put that crown of thorns at an altar. They didn't put that crown of thorns in a sinner's prayer. They put that crown of thorns on the head of Jesus the Christ. And when my faith is put in Christ alone, he becomes my vicarious substitute. The second thing that the second prophetic reason they put that on his head, number two, it wasn't just the vicarious suffering, but number two, it showed the imputation of righteousness. The imputation of man's sin to Christ 
But there was something that was taken off of his head and put on ours. You know, Bible college, for all intents and purposes, is a big old waste of time most of the time. I went for six years. And half of that junk they teach you, it's kind of like you teachers that teach algebra, telling these kids and lying to them, saying they're going to use it one day. The only thing that kid's going to learn how to do is get on Google and say, what does AB squared times 3M squared equal when you put it by Y over 2? And Google's going to give them the answer. Sam, they gave us all this stuff in Bible college. And they said, you're going to need all this. Fellas, eh, wrong. But there was this one day when I paid attention And Troy, they taught me this. They said, when you see a word used, trace it and try to connect it to the next time that word is used. Because they say, if you'll follow the daisy chain of words, you'll see a story begin to string together. You see the word crown in Matthew 27. When Jesus was platted with a crown of thorns... Do you know the next time a crown is mentioned in the Bible? It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse number 25. And the apostle Paul says, We don't labor for a corruptible crown, but for an incorruptible. There was only one person that's ever had an incorruptible crown, and that was Jesus Christ. What happened that day on bloody Calvary? Jesus Christ took the crown that I deserved and you deserved and he took his incorruptible crown of acceptance in the eyes of God and laboring in the eyes of God and blessing in the eyes of God and now in Christ we can receive the incorruptible crown. That day on bloody Calvary he took your uselessness. He took my uselessness and he placed it on himself and he imputed unto you and I a righteous heart and a righteous mind and today I can be right with God because of Jesus Christ. There's a third picture there when they platted that crown. It was a picture of lifting the curse. Remember what he said in Genesis chapter 3. He said, on the ground it will yield up thorns and thistles. It's a picture of the curse. You know what they did with that crown, that thorn? They lifted that curse up. And they put it on his head. You ready? As long as he stands, the curse will never hit the ground again. As long as his head doesn't go down, the curse will never hit the ground again. You say, now wait a second. I thought you said you want to have a green thumb, but not every time you put something in the ground, it comes up green. Because it's not a physical blessing yet. It's a spiritual blessing. The physical blessing will come during the thousand-year reign of Christ when the full curse is removed from the earth and it will be a bumper crop all the time. You see, now it's a spiritual blessing until Jesus Christ comes again. You see, before the cross of Calvary, man lived and man died. Man labored and then his 
labor went away. Man operated and then he went down. That's why Solomon said, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. I labor and then I give it to somebody else. But the day that Jesus Christ came and Jesus Christ bled and Jesus Christ died, he opened up the gateway into heaven. And now you and I, through our labor in Christ, we can lay up treasures in a place where we're going one day. Every time I labor in Christ, I do whatsoever I do as unto the Lord. Let everything that your hand touches, let it be as unto the Lord because it's being laid up in a place on the other side where moth does not touch it and rust does not touch it. You lay up on the other side and because Jesus lifted the curse, my life doesn't have to end in vain. You live, you die. You live, it doesn't have to be that way. You can labor for a world that is to come because the curse has been lifted. The fourth picture that that cross and that crown of thorns did is it showed salvation for the Gentiles. Who put the crown on his head? It wasn't the Jewish Pharisees. It was the Gentile Romans. You see, in Christ... The Jew is saved according to Isaiah through the wounds in his hand and in his feet. What did Isaiah said? He says, have, not, have I not engraven you upon the palm of my hand? What about me? I'm not a Jew. I have no hope of ever getting into the covenant of Abraham. I've got no hope of ever falling under the Mosaic law. What about an old dog Gentile? There's got to be a way. Son, when that Roman soldier that day, he picked that crown of sin up, that crown of, of judgment up, that Roman soldier, he was signifying that not only is the, the salvation that Jesus is going to give for the Jew, it's for the Jew first, but it's also for the Greek. It's also for the Gentile. And I'll tell you why that makes me just absolutely happy. I don't understand how to keep 613 laws. I don't understand how to be in that covenant. I don't have to understand it because that day when Jesus Christ took my sin and died my death and paid for me, that Roman soldier, he said, I'm going to put my sin on his head. And now because of that, I'm saved. Can I tell you what my problem is? I think because I'm an American, I deserve a lot. I don't deserve anything. But I want to show you the fifth picture because I didn't think about this until last night. The fifth picture of that crown being on the head is healing for the mind. How many of you are like me and your mind goes crazy? Your mind goes insane. You can't think straight. You're worried all the time. Your nerves stay tore up. You know, the average church has got more Xanax prescriptions than most crazy houses around. Don't act nervous. You know I'm telling it right. Our nerves stay tore up. Our minds stay tore up. Sickness comes in our house. It boggles our minds. Something happens. Our, we absolutely lose ourselves 
in our own heads. And the worse the world gets, the worse it gets. But isn't it interesting that the redemption that Christ paid for encircled the head? The thinking module of humans. Brothers and sisters, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, He said, when you look at me, you'll start thinking straight. Can I tell you why your nerves and your life are all tore up center? Because until you are in Christ, there's a short change in your head. Until you give your life to Jesus Christ, the message of the thorn says, the only way to have peace is in Christ. The church has stopped preaching the gospel of peace. You know what's wrong? We're all tore up. And what we're teaching people is that if you'll just do this and you'll just do that, and if you get to one, two, threes, just right. And all that's important, but until you're right with God through Christ, there's no peace. Some of you today, your mind is so frazzled. You're worried about everything. The question I've got for you, have you ever been I didn't say if you worry you're not saved. What I said is have you ever been saved? From the back to the front, have you ever been born? I didn't ask if you went to church. I went to church 16 years old. But I still wasn't saved. What did you have to do, Tyler? I had to give it to Christ at an altar. I had to say, Lord, I'm undone, but I'm trusting in you. What did them kids in that baptistry, what were they saying? They were saying, I want to show you I've put it in Christ. What are these people that will join in just a little bit saying? They're saying, I have found the way in Christ. What is a choir full of people declaring? Are they declaring perfection? No, they're declaring we have found it all in Christ. What's an old country preacher from the backwoods of North Carolina trying to tell you every week? I'm trying to tell you that you can spin and toil all you want, but the only hope of having peace you'll ever have is in Christ. Tyler, what do I do in just a second? You'll see people get on this altar. I don't care if you're in the back. I don't care if you're in the balcony. You step out of your seat, come down these sides, and get on this altar. And somebody will show you from the Word of the living God how you can know that you've been born again. Why do I have to come down front? There is something about that public way of saying, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know you died publicly for me. I'm going to be willing to come down and give it to you publicly. You say, Tyler, how can I be saved call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved there's people online right now and they're toiling and laboring and I tell you the only way you'll ever find peace is by giving it to Jesus Christ